Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. It's the oldest military branch in the nation. We're talking about the National Guard. And we sit down with three recruiters from Eastern Connecticut to find out more about the benefits of becoming a member. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. It's one of the nation's longest enduring institutions. We're talking about the Army National Guard, formed even before the US Army to help protect British colonies back in the 1630s. Today, the Guard is comprised of around 450,000 men and women in all 50 states, three territories and the District of Columbia, and started just up the road from Connecticut in nearby Massachusetts. So what do the Army National Guard do and for whom? I decided to find out. So joining us on Connecticut East this week, we've been conscripted by the Connecticut Army National Guard here in Connecticut, and I'm at the recruitment office in Danielson, up in the quiet corner, which is looked after by Staff Sergeant Joshua Fish. Joshua, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ryan. Also joined by two other recruitment specialists who cover Eastern Connecticut. We're also joined by Specialist Emily Watt. Hello, hello. And also Staff Sergeant Curtis Rocky. Thank you for having us. Before we get into this, we should just quickly, because people are quite good and clever and they Google things, and Curtis Rocky is a name that has hit the internet, hasn't it, Curtis, because of your dog Yondu? Yeah, I had a video recorded that my wife took when I came home from deployment, and when I left, my dog was just a puppy, so I wasn't sure if he would remember me or not, so we made sure that when I came home, we had a recording going, and obviously, based on the video, he definitely remembered me, kind of got a little bit excited, jumped up on me, and and uh, scratched up my face a little bit, but it was it was nice. <laughs> Went viral and uh, certainly turned you into a bit of an influence. And obviously Yondu has now become very famous as well. A fabulous video. Thank you, as I say, the three of you for joining us. So we're talking about the Connecticut Army National Guard. We're being very specific about what we say because there is an air guard, but we are not talking about that. We're talking about the Army National Guard. Joshua, I want to turn to you first bit of back history. What is the National Guard? The National Guard, we're the oldest branch of the military. We are a part of the Army. We do all of our training with the Army. We have all of the same qualifications as the actual active Army. The difference between us and the Army, though, is we're the state's Army. So each state has their own Army National Guard. We serve, and we live right here in the state of Connecticut. So we serve part-time, one week in a month, here in Connecticut. Emily, let me turn to you, because you're all full-time, so we'll just make that very clear. You're you're all (laughs) full-time members of the Connecticut Army National Guard. What got you in Why did you want to join this particular branch of the military? So I was in high school and I wasn't really sure if I wanted to go to college yet or not, but I knew that with the guard, it was always an option. 
So we have a tuition waiver so I can go to any state school and get it completely covered. I didn't actually end up going to college because I like the National Guard so much that I ended up going full-time as a recruiter. And you're pretty young as well. I mean, if you yes. don't mind, how can we ask how old? I'm 22. So, I mean, at the very beginning of your career, what did your parents think? Just very quickly, what did your parents think about it? Because, again, it's not always about what you want. You know, you have to exactly, win the hearts yeah. and minds of your parents as well, don't you? So my mother, she was very hesitant on letting me join. So they had to sign the papers because I was 17 at the time. Then she kind of realized after talking to my recruiter, it is part-time. Like, I'm not necessarily going to deploy anywhere. I'm still going to be really close to home. So she eventually came around to it, um, especially because she knew, like, it was a motivator for me to go to college. She turned around very fast on it. So now she's super proud of me. Curtis, same question to you. I mean, you're a little bit older, not much older, but, you know, what got you interested in the Guard? So I actually had a few things that, that pushed me towards it. Initially out of high school, I wanted to join. I actually wanted to join ever since I was very young because my father was in the military himself. But I figured I'd give college a try at first and very quickly found out that college wasn't necessarily for me. I wanted to continue pursuing it, but I didn't want to waste my parents' money. So I talked to a recruiter and they told me basically the same thing that they told Emily is that we have a tuition waiver where if you wanted to go to a state or community college in Connecticut, you could do that and it would be covered. thought, worst case scenario... I don't like going to school. I didn't waste any money going. On top of that, I was very competitive in high school, and I played a lot of sports. I was in track for a while. I played soccer. And being in college, there wasn't that for me. I didn't have any more competitive drive or any really reason for me to to kind of get up. I wasn't motivated by school. So I saw the military as another source to be more competitive and keep my drive going. So I joined because of that as well. And I joined the infantry because I thought that'd be the most competitive thing to do. And I was, I was definitely right about that. So I was surrounded by individuals that kept me motivated, kept me working out, made me better myself. And now I'm at the point where I'm trying to pursue even higher levels in the military, like going special forces and, and the infantry really drove me to do that. So that's why I joined. And Joshua, same question to you as well. I mean, again, young man decided that you, know, you wanted to join the, the National Guard. Why? So actually, I have a completely different story from both of my colleagues here. I actually never wanted to be in the military. I was super scared of the military. I was very afraid. <laughs> so I went to trade school for high school. I did HVAC. I was a very quiet kid. I never played any sports in school. I was a pudgy little kid. I was working for an oil company. And one day, one of my roommates, a really good friend of mine still, he went and joined the Marine Corps Reserves. And never wanted to be in the military. I had no interest in it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go in the Army. So I went to a National Guard recruiter. They're like, why did you want to join? And I was like, ah, my friend's joining. But I was like, I'm scared of the world. I kind of just want to like get confidence, right? I want to get confidence in myself. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go for it. And that was 10 years ago. Now I'm 30 years old. I'm making a full-time career out of it. So I was... Funny, I never thought I would see myself in the military. Now I'm a full-time recruiter. <laughs> so the three of you, as we said, you're all full-time recruiters. You're up and down Eastern Connecticut talking to, you know, all, all manner of people in schools, etc. We've asked you what your why was. But generally, I mean, Emily, perhaps we can turn to you first. What's people's inspiration for wanting to join the National Guard? It's all very different for each person. But I would say, like, when I'm at the high schools, a driving factor is the college. But then there's also some people's, like, my area where they just want to serve. They want to serve their country, but still be close to home. Those are like the two biggest ones I've personally seen. And Curtis, when you're talking, obviously, to the, you know, the school students or you know, people interested, how much of an understanding do they have of the National Guard? Because there's a lot of myths, and we're going to be cracking a few of those myths a little bit later in this conversation, but you know, do they actually have it right in their head or not? I feel that a majority of people 
don't understand 100% what the National Guard entails. It is, I feel, getting better over time. Our presence is kind of growing, getting more out there. We're, we're speaking to more people and more people are starting to understand what the National Guard is. Specifically in my area, I'm by the sub base in Groton. So there's a lot a large Navy presence. So most people there are just mostly familiar with what the Navy is because their family's in the Navy and they're not really familiar with what the National Guard is. So we get a lot of people coming up and, and they're just kind of like, oh, are you guys just like the backup? And that's, it's like, you, they hear reserves and they're like, oh yeah, you're just the replacement for the regular army, but we're not the reserves, we're the National Guard, we're a little bit different. So our primary mission is for the state of Connecticut. And on top of that, because we have the capacity, we also fulfill a federal mission. So instead of being like a replacement for the big army when they go overseas, we are just another option. So like we go hand in hand. So we may deploy uh, or do missions with the regular army or we'll replace them in specific areas and, and they'll replace us. So people don't realize that we, we activate at that full capacity because we have the resources to do that. We're not just we're not just like a backup or anything like that. And Joshua, again, I suppose another thing, a myth that people think about the National Guard is, oh, yeah, it's a great way to volunteer, but I don't get paid. But you do, don't you? Well, you we paid very well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We get paid very well. Also, the benefits, I mean, the TRICARE, the health insurance, it's some of the cheapest, the best health insurance you can get, right? And our day-to-day paycheck, I mean, I'm a fully licensed S2 HVAC technician. I've been doing it for years, and I'm full-time in the Guard now. I'm getting paid better than I was before. (laughs) It's not volunteer work. You're getting paid. It's a job. Think of it as a part-time job. That's the biggest thing I see is a lot of people I talk to, they're like, oh, I'm either going to go to college or I'm going to get a job. Or I'm going to join the military. With the National Guard, it's not an or, it's an and, right? I'm going to get that job and be in the National Guard. I'm going to go to school and be in the National Guard. Really, it's, it's a part-time job that you're making money and getting good benefits off. I wanted to add in as well, another, another part of that is basically every time you put the uniform on, you're getting paid. So if your ability to, to work with us is just that one week in a month and two weeks in the summer, every time you put the uniform on when the country or the state calls for you to help, you're getting paid for that, right? And I'm not saying you just sit in your room, you throw a uniform on, we're not just going to pay you for that. Like when we actually request your, your assistance with something, you're getting paid to train. And on top of that, you want to go to school. You're not just going to school for free. You're getting paid to go to school. So if you're a full-time student, you're getting paid to do that. And then you get paid on top of that to train with us on the weekends. So you're getting these hard and these soft skills that usually you would be paying hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars to go to another school or a place where you can get some credentials and we're paying you instead of you having to pay for it. So it's it's a great benefit. Let's just talk a little bit more about that commitment. You touched upon it there, Curtis. It's so once a month and then it's like two weeks of training. So the thing we like to say is to, to round it out is basically one week in a month and two weeks in the summer. One unit might drill the first weekend of every month. And then in the summertime, usually like June or July, they'll have a two week long annual training where they get together during the summertime and they do like a larger set mission do your job so like a lot of our one week in a month is training so if you're a medic you're training on medical operations you're just doing your your medic keeping your certification up during that annual training you're taking all that training you've done for the last few months and you're kind of putting it to use let's talk about some of those jobs emily because of course i suppose instantly again people if they don't know enough about the national guard just think of the infantry side of it but of course, there's many, many, and we're not going to touch on, on every single one because there are so many there different really things that you can do, which is staggering. But just talk to us about some of things, things like, you know, Joshua mentioned about, you know, medical sort of thing. So there's 84 different job options. Kind of depends on any person, really. So you can be a mechanic. You can be a cook. There's a job for anybody who has a certain interest in anything. So you have paralegals, chaplain's assistants admin, anything like that, you want to be hands-on, you can be hands-on. It's really just on the person and their score for the ASVAB. 
So we take the ASVAB, you get your line scores, and pretty much when you're taking the test, it goes into certain details. So like there'll be like a mechanic portion or like more science and STEM portion or something to the effect of that. And then for me, like I did really good with like military police options. You know, military for years and even still to a certain degree is still like very male orientated. So how much more interest are you seeing from women wanting to join this? Because it is equal opportunities. I mean, you know, women can do the same things as men, but often they're told no. And this is a great question for me. I get a lot of interest from females, actually. So there's something very empowering about doing the same exact job as a typical man would and doing it just as well. So I actually get a lot of interest in military police officers as far as like the female applicants that come into my office. So very similar to like what I used to do before recruiting. And it's definitely like more of a male oriented career. But as a female, it is equal opportunity. There's so many stigmas against women joining the military, but... My brothers and sisters, I get treated the same just as anybody else. Yeah, and that's a stigma now. Actually, uh, I'm thinking about it. Out of all of my recruits, I think I've enlisted more females than males. <laughs> I'm actually enlisting a female next week as a military police officer, too. I've, the whole stigma of being a male-oriented, I feel like that's gone with the times. A lot of people look at us and they think, you're just going to give you a gun and send you out, and we don't have that. A lot of times, females come and they're, they sit in my office like, I want to serve, but I'm just I'm afraid. And when I pop open, I'm like, you could be an HR. You could mm-hmm. be... You know, like we were saying earlier, paralegal, medic, we have all different opportunities. Once they hear that, it really opens their mind. and It definitely helps because I try to give the female perspective as much as possible. Because it's not how it used to be. It's definitely changed. So in my old unit, in my platoon, we had a very big group of females and we were all very close. And we all got treated the same. The opportunities were all there. It's about your work ethic. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It's your work ethic at the end of the day. Even in the past six years, I've, I've seen it change a lot. So I, I've been in the infantry for six years before I started recruiting. When I initially came in, women in the infantry was, was not really much of a thing. And when I was in basic training, we were there at the same time as the all-first female infantry platoon that went through. And at first, I was like, wow, that's insane. Like, this is so cool. Like, I've never seen this before. And there's an entire group of them now. And in the six years that I've served, I've had the opportunity to go to Ranger School, which is one of the premier leadership schools in the Army. And one of the people that I worked with personally, I believe she, I'm not sure what her rank is now. I haven't kept in contact, but her name's Sergeant Smiley. And she absolutely killed it. And she was one of the very first National Guardsmen that was a female to graduate Ranger School, which is incredible. And she could hang out and keep up with just better, honestly, than the rest of us, especially when it came to rucking, which is which is awesome. And then as well, when I deployed one of our platoon leaders, which is an officer for one of our platoons, which they take care of about 40, 40 different soldiers, she came in to replace one of our other commissioned officers, and she killed it as well. So she did an amazing job. So not only are they coming in to the infantry, like they're making a, a large entrance as well, and they're performing much better than anybody would have expected in the past and we're seeing now it's like it's not even a thing about gender like what emily said it's it's just about their work ethic and we're seeing that they have the same work ethic as men talk to us joshua about what the requirements for people uh, if they're interested in joining the national guards at both age and so like qualifications talk us through that the typical age range is 17 to 35 we actually just started offering to take in people at the age of 42 anything over 35 so between 35 and 42 you're gonna need to get like an age waiver but if you're 38, 39, you've always thought, man, I really wish I went into the military. It's not too late. A lot of what we're seeing now is do require different physical requirements. Not necessarily like you don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger to come in the military. That's not what I mean by physical requirements. More like medical requirements, right? Obviously, you need good height and weight standing. A lot of medical requirements, what we're seeing is our biggest roadblock recently, different medications and different surgeries. So 
just be prepared if you're thinking about doing this and you've had surgeries in the past, medications in the past, just getting those records together for us. But we have a little saying, we have waivers for everything. You need to have a high school diploma or GED, anything equivalent to that. Law violations, as long as you're not a, a wanted felon right now. I mean, if you're on the run listening to this, probably best not come to my office because <laughs> we do fingerprinting. So throughout the law violations, um, they're getting better with it. I know a lot of stuff in the past with like tattoos, right? We're now allowing different tattoos on different parts of the body. They're really kind of coming to the times on these sort of things. Requirements are at one point getting a little stricter and now they're kind of loosening up. So what I say the best thing, especially for somebody who's not too sure if they, they qualify or not, talk to a recruiter. The other thing as well is, say you're working, so employers... Obviously, if you're employed and then you decide you want to join the Army National Guard, that's absolutely great. But how about your employer? So the best part about us being one week in a month and two weeks in the summer is that if you want to pursue your nine to five, you like your trade, you like your job, you want to keep going to school, you can do that. And as long as you are able to provide, and it's not even as long as you're able to, you will be able to provide a schedule of your entire drill for the rest of the year. So like... As soon as you get to the unit, they're going to show you January 2023 through January 2024, this is what's happening. You give that to your employer, and that's their notice. Like, hey, I'm not going to be here on these days. Employer will look at that, and I've never had a single problem with this anywhere else that I've worked before I became a full-time recruiter. I would show them the schedule. They would say, okay, that's fine, and we would be on an understanding that I wouldn't be to work on those specific days, and there'd be no problem with that. Do employers get compensated, or is it just a fact of it's just an understanding that, you know, if they have an employee come to them, it's like, well, you know, that's just how it is. So it's actually, there is a law for military service, cannot get fired, right? Your position cannot get changed, and you cannot change in pay. Let's say you want to go join the National Guard, and you work for a company, and you say, hey, I'm going to basic training, and I'm going to go be in the National Guard. I'm going to be gone for a little bit during training. And they say, no, you can't do that. That's against the law. So I had a personal experience with this my when I enlisted for my company. I came to them and said, I'm going to the National Guard. Here's my training dates. Not much you can do about it, really. Like, I don't want to sound like that guy, but it's I'm joining the military. I'm going to military service. When I was gone, when I got home, I was actually docked in pay by a couple dollars an hour. And he said, well, I'm going to dock you and pay for a little bit because I don't know if you're going to stay here or not. I then went, when we had gone to my, my drill right after getting home from basic training, they're like, they gave us information and said, if your employer changes anything because of your military service, you call this number and we will have a talk with them. So I went into my boss's office. I was like, hey, I don't, I'm going to let you know before I give them the, your name and number, like you need to bring my pay back up. You cannot change it. And I was ended up being back paid and everything. Um, I know people who have lost their jobs for smaller companies. They're like, no, you're going into the guard. If you have a job and you're afraid that you're going to lose that job because your military service, I'm just letting you know right now, you cannot lose your job for that. We're almost at the end of our interview, and we knew we were only going to scratch the surface because there's so much more that we can talk to all three of you about the Connecticut Army National Guard. Some finishing thoughts. So I'll start with Emily. Any sort of like for people who are listening, if they're a little bit on the fence about it, any thoughts, any advice? I would say if you're thinking about it, definitely talk to a recruiter. Me personally, it was probably the best thing I could have done for myself. It has nothing to do with like the job training. Yes, it has all been good and well, but it's honestly about the friendships that I have made along the way. I have met people who are amazing, and they're my best friends, and honestly, like that is the whole reason why I keep doing this, is because I love the experience and I love the people I meet. It's not just about the job training. Yes, that helps. The money is great. Yes, that helps, but it's honestly the people you meet along the way. I would say pretty simply, if not now, then when, right? So there are a lot of people that are like, oh, I wish I joined the military, or I'm thinking about joining the military, but I might I might look into it in like a few years, like oh, I'm going to school right now, or I got this really good job right now. We've already explained, like, you could do these things at the exact same time, and there will be no repercussions. There are only benefits to it. So if you're not going to do it now, then you're never going to do it. 
don't make excuses. Like if this is something that you want, it doesn't matter what the barriers are. It doesn't matter what obstacles are in the way. Know what you want to achieve. And if this is what you have to do to achieve it, then pursue it no matter what's standing in the way. I'm going to really harp on like there is absolutely no harm in just talking to a recruiter. If you say I might think about joining the National Guard, what do you lose about going to their office and talking to them? What, a couple minutes, a couple cents in gas? You're not losing anything by talking to a recruiter at all. And, and what a lot of people, the stigma we get as recruiters, they think we're robots that are out to get people in the military, right? We're humans. I have two kids in daycare. I got my wife works in Connecticut. I've been in Connecticut my whole life. I've been, I'm a human being, right? I'm not a robot. I'm not going to steer you the wrong way. I'm going to just, I'm, I'm very straightforward and honest with people. And if it's not something you want, I'm not going to... I'm not going to stalk you at your house and convince you to join, right? It's We're human beings, right? We're not going to steer you in the wrong direction, for sure. So just go talk to somebody. And, of course, ultimately, all of those benefits as well, if you join from you know free tuition to, as you said, all the health benefits. But, of course, the most important thing, other than what uh, Emily was just saying as well about making great friends and meeting people, is you're serving your community. And mm-hmm. there can be no better thing than that at the end of the day, is being able to just, like lay your head down at, on the pillow at night and know that you've done something good for your local community. To the three of you, thank you for your service. Thank you for your time as well. And it's been great talking to you. And thanks for being on Connecticut East this week. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're interested in finding out more about the Connecticut Army National Guards, then visit their website at nationalguard.com and select your region to find a recruiter near you. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Dariana. We call him Day Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Green Valley Tree LLC is proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week. Contact Green Valley Tree LLC for all your tree removal and plant health care needs and more. Find us at GreenValleyTreeWorks.com or call 860-234-4041. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. The Connecticut Business and Industry Association, CBIA, the state's largest business organization, is advocating for more affordable housing to help grow Connecticut's future workforce. Peter Myers is a public policy associate for CBIA and says there are two bills currently being considered by the state legislator that are small changes but could add up to real savings for future home buyers. One of the bills being considered is by the Planning and Development Committee. Which would provide property tax abatements for $500 a year for five years for first-time homebuyers who use Connecticut Housing Financing Authority loan. And then there's another bill in the Banking Committee. This would allow for first-time homebuyers to create a first-time homebuyer's savings account, and they could contribute to that and get tax deductions. So really helping incentivizing people to invest into Connecticut and make it a little cheaper to live here. Myers says large Connecticut companies like Electric Boat, who are looking to add over 5,000 new employees in 2023 alone, need to work with developers and receive financial incentives from the state to help solve the housing issue so they can grow their workforce. And they would get tax credits for doing so. And those housing developments would be on brownfield sites or in opportunity zones down there in New London or on a brownfield site around there, which they'd be able to contribute to designated for their workforce and their workforce could live there. And it's 
breaks down to 50% market rate, 40% workforce, 10% low income. And workforce housing is really just 20% less than the prevailing rent. So it's a little cheaper for the workforce to live there. Meyer says the state could also consider using unused brownfield sites in the state to build homes on, speeding up the process of them being cleaned up under the state's Brownfield Remediation and Development Program. The CBIA says there are nearly 100,000 job openings in the state and 85% of the state's employers are experiencing difficulties finding and retaining employees because of the lack of housing and the state's high cost of living. Since the pandemic, rent prices in Connecticut, according to data from Apartment List, have increased on average from around 11 to 17 percent, and in some areas of the state even higher. Recently, legislators dropped a proposal to cap rent increases in the state at 4 percent plus inflation after a heated debate in the capital, attended by renters who said the measures didn't go far enough and landlords arguing the limits were too strict. The U.S. Coast Guard's Research and Development Centre is celebrating its 50th anniversary at its home in New London. The centre has developed technology and products that have significantly enhanced the Coast Guard's service and ability to carry out its missions both at home and overseas. To mark the event, an open day was held, allowing local leaders and the public the chance to walk around and see what the scientists and researchers do on a daily basis. Mike Passero is the mayor of New London and said it's only fitting the centre is where it is today. This is the only R&D centre for the whole branch of the service. It's amazing that they chose New London. I come down here and visit and see the work they're doing, and I think this is the place it should be. We have Coast Guard Station New London, we have the Academy. We're going to have the Coast Guard Museum, and we are a Coast Guard city. The centre and its staff serve as the science advisors to the Coast Guard and have been instrumental in the creation of groundbreaking services, techniques and products, as Admiral Linda Fagan, the current commandant of the Coast Guard, explained. And the history of this unit reflects the history of many of the Coast Guard capabilities that we have fielded over the past 50 decades. And so in the 70s, the R&D Centre led the services research in the new field of oil spill response. Think about how far we've come, but there's still room to grow in that particular world of work. New batteries, solar systems for buoys, all of that work is great to see here as I walk around in the building. Over the last 50 years, the centre has delivered nearly 2,000 research products ranging from advanced sensors and tactics, improving Coast Guard search and rescue techniques, to challenging world events including the Exxon Valdez oil spill disaster in Alaska in 1989, to enhance port security needs after the attacks of September 11th. Students in northeastern Connecticut will be the first in the state to take a new course to help them learn about machine learning and artificial intelligence. The STEM Introduction to Machine Learning and AI course is open to grades 10 to 12 and will begin in the fall at Plainfield High School. Cherry Bortleson is with technology firm Microsoft, who are introducing these new concepts through specialised open-source educational curriculum like Farm Beats for students and how we can harness this technology to grow our food. How we can help solve, you know, say food production and world hunger issues with thinking about how we can get smarter on our farms and with food production. So thinking about how can we really educate this generation to be the most positive users and be very aware of societal impacts with AI. The course will be light on traditional computer coding, a more emphasis placed on understanding the difference between good and bad data and how to spot the difference. 
Nicholas Bousquet is Plainfield High School's lead computer science teacher and said they've won two national awards in recognition of how and who they are teaching. For some huge strides that we took in growing uh, proportional representation in our classes, more female students, more BIPOC students, uh, more students with disabilities who perhaps just needed uh, an open door to discover the empowerment and creativity that a computer lab should offer to all. Machine learning and artificial intelligence is already being used in everyday applications we all use, from social media platforms like TikTok to streaming services like Netflix and chatbot systems like ChatGPT. And a new report calls for public housing authorities to change certain policies to prevent excluding people with criminal records. Edwin J. Vieira of the Connecticut News Service reports. The Prison Policy Initiative report finds some public housing policies work against people who were once convicted, for instance, of using marijuana. While it's legal in 37 states and Washington, D.C., the Department of Housing and Urban Development prohibits marijuana use in public housing, since it's still illegal at the federal level. Wanda Bertram with the Prison Policy Initiative says access to housing is critical to help people restart their lives. Someone coming out of prison might have a whole host of issues to work on. They might have a health issue, they may have a substance use problem, they might have a mental illness. Those are all issues that are disproportionately prevalent among people leaving prison. They might not have very many job prospects, but in order to begin tackling all of those problems, they need a place to live. In Connecticut, legislation to ensure landlords wouldn't discriminate against prior offenders stalled in the General Assembly. The state's clean slate law, which erases the criminal records of those who remain crime-free for an extended period went into effect this year, but it only applies to people convicted of misdemeanors and lower-level felonies. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 